Hey everybody, Chris Harry with you on Chargers Weekly. We got a really good episode today. Rob Rang of NFLDraftScout.com previews next week's NFL Scouting Combine. But first, it seemed like the Chargers were the poster boys of pro football focus in 2017. PFF senior analyst Steve Palazzolo joins me to discuss the highest graded Chargers from last season. We'll also touch on some of the prospects to watch next week in Indy. All right, Steve Palazzolo of Pro Football Focus joins me on Chargers Weekly. And Steve, I joked earlier in the season that the Chargers were were sponsored by PFF because seemingly every week I saw a graphic with Casey Hayward or Joey Boson, Melvin Ingram, Keenan Allen. The numbers seem to show that you guys like what you saw out of the Bolts this season. Oh, yeah, absolutely, especially those high-end players. I mean, Casey Hayward was our top-graded corner, and uh, Bosa, we've been touting him since he came out of college. Uh, He was our best edge defender at Ohio State for a couple of years. He's obviously carried that type of production to the NFL level. Melvin Ingram uh, continuing to improve. And uh, yeah, Keenan Allen was a, was a top five or top 10 receiver last year. And, and Hunter Henry as well. Just can't forget about him at tight end. So, uh, the high-end players for the Chargers, uh, I think, definitely had, had great seasons in 2017. You know, I just want to go over some of these guys just one by one. I want to start with Casey Hayward because he was number five on PFF's top 101 list. Highest graded corner by a wide margin, Steve. I think 964 and I think the highest graded corner ever was Jarrell Revis at 96.6 in 2009. Jason Brett went down in week one, but Hayward certainly elevated his play really to an all-time level, according to PFF. Yeah, he really did. And it, it's really not fair to compare anybody to 2009 Darrell Revis yeah. because you know, the role that he filled was also you know covering number ones every single week. But Hayward did some of that as well. And I got his hands on 15 passes, plus had four interceptions, uh, passer rating of only 58.6 when targeted, and allowed only 43% of targets to be completed his way. So you're talking about when quarterbacks were targeting Casey Hayward, they're putting up numbers well below the worst quarterback in the league. So uh, on the field, he was he was absolutely fantastic. I think you know the questions about Hayward in the past. You know, I think he got pigeonholed as into uh, being a slot receiver when he was with Green Bay, and they never really gave him an extended opportunity to play on the outside. But uh, even historically, he's always graded well for us, whether in the slot or on the outside. And then he just took his game to a whole new level this year. And outside of maybe that one, that one deep pass he gave up to Tyreek Hill later in the year when he was playing banged up. It was a pretty outstanding season from start to finish. I want to read this PFF Elite stat verbatim because it was it was pretty mind-blowing to me. Hayward tied for fourth among cornerbacks, right, with an average of 17.7 cover snaps played per reception allowed. And every player ahead of him, Steve, was targeted at least 15 times less than he was. That's ridiculous. What that shows me is when Verrett went down, teams still tested Casey and he stepped up to the challenge. Yeah, I mean that's that that you that you said as far you know it's it's how often you're giving up receptions. Usually the guys at the top there uh, are guys that just don't get targeted a whole lot. So yes, when you are getting targeted and you're still not giving up receptions, then it, it's a good sign. And and he did it playing zone coverage, playing man coverage. Uh, you're moving around when needed. So yeah, it was a very impressive season for Hayward. All right, the next two guys, Melvin Ingram, Joey Bosa, 24 and 28 on PFF's top 101. They combined for 151 pressures this season, Steve. I think Ingram had 76 and Bosa had 75. I don't know if you could put into context just how rare it is to have two elite pass rushers on the same team this high in the rankings. Yeah, I mean, when you look at 
the AFC West in general, and you've got big names like Vaughn Miller and Justin Houston and Khalil Mack. And before the season, I, I really wanted to go out on a limb and say, look, I love all those guys, but I think the Chargers might have the best tandem. And I didn't even know that they would be this good when you have Ingram and Bosa, uh, you know, uh, pretty much neck and neck. When we were breaking down our, our 101 and comparing them and their grade was very similar and they're about two sacks apart and one QB hit apart and two hurries apart. When you, They were so similar from a pure statistical breakdown and grading breakdown. So, yeah, it's rare to get uh, those two guys. I mean, just in Kansas City a few years ago, you had guys like Justin Houston and Tom Bahali, but even then it was like, Ali's good and Houston's, you know, maybe top notch. Both of these guys, though, Ingram and Bosa, uh, right there, neck and neck all season and uh, the best tandem in the entire NFL when it comes to rushing the passer. Uh, just a matter of getting a little bit more push from the middle, and you know that that Chargers defensive front can be all the more dangerous. And I think it's worth noting too, Steve, that there were certain games, especially when Denzel Perryman was out, where the Chargers were giving up large chunks of yardage on the ground, and Bosa and Ingram really had to sacrifice the pass rushing in certain games just to help stop the run, which I think makes that ranking that much more special when you consider the fact that they had to sacrifice in certain games really just to help stop the run. Yeah, I mean, even if, if you look at Bosa, again, when he came out of Ohio State, he was an outstanding run defender. And if you look at Ingram, too, uh, before he really broke out as a pass rusher, he was that guy that you just you could trust on the edge and you can uh, you know play with heavy hands and uh, force the ball back inside and all that fun stuff that you have to do against the run. So both guys... Uh, while they've continued to improve as pass rushers, always just really solid against the run, uh, don't lose their gap a whole lot, and, and they're disruptive as well. So, uh, yeah, both very good all-around players and guys that, uh, you know, had, had that run-stopping ability even before they continued to improve as pass rushers. Moving on, Keenan Allen at number 40. Uh, first nine weeks, he had two 100-yard games, Steve, and a touchdown. The last seven weeks, he absolutely blew up. But I think the stat that was probably most interesting to me, he was just money on third down. He caught 30 receptions for either a first down or a touchdown. I don't know if there's many wide receivers you would take over Allen entering 2018. Yeah, it's just it was good to see him healthy. I mean, when he's at his peak, That's the thing. and I remember even just back at, yeah, even when, when he was back at Cal, as a true freshman, he looked like a special player, and he was always a little banged up even at Cal, and then he gets to the NFL and he has a, you know, a great start to his career and then he's banged up. But I think we started to see what he's capable of. He is as smooth of a route runner as it gets. He's so great getting off the line of scrimmage. And I think that's why he is so good on third down. You see a little bit more press coverage on third down. You see, uh, you know, more complicated defensive schemes and he's, he has the ability to get open against zone. He can get off press coverage. Um, and then toward the end of the season, we could see what he could do with the ball in his hands as well. Started, uh, forcing a lot more missed tackles in space, especially that Dallas game on Thanksgiving. So uh, I, think, I think this was great to see Allen really live up to his potential because he's always been one of my favorite receivers. And, uh, and it's not because he's super fast or, you know, he's not the tallest guy, but he's got, he does have good size and he's got just such good quickness both before and after the catch. We got to see all of that come together this season. And he's only 25, so I think the best is in front of him. Another young guy, number 67 on the list, Hunter Henry, now, you look at the stats, 579 receiving yards, four touchdowns. He had eight touchdowns his first year in the league. They're not going to blow you away, but we've seen this guy in practice 
every single day. He's one of the best young tight ends in the game. Even though the stats don't really show a Pro Bowl type year, you guys were really high on him. What was the reason for that? Yeah, so he was just efficient because he didn't have a ton of uh, he didn't have a ton of opportunities. He ran fewer routes than Antonio Gates, and uh, still went out there and was extremely productive. Uh, sure-handed guy, only had three drops. It was a lot like he was at Arkansas. Just did not drop a ton of passes. And, and I know that there were some question marks about him in the run game, but he was one of our better run-blocking tight ends as well. And, again, that was another place where, coming out of college, we had pretty good run-blocking grades on him, and I know a lot of people questioned his ability there, but I thought he was much, he, he was much better this past year, uh, even than he was as a rookie or from what we saw in college. So it was just a solid all-around season, and I think he was just such an efficient receiver as much as – you have to love Antonio Gates, what he's done for the Chargers through the years. We kept saying, look, just give Hunter Henry a little bit more. Give him more opportunities because he's, a, he's an excellent route runner. He's sure-handed, and I do think uh, with more opportunities, he will start putting up even bigger numbers. You know, I don't have the stat in front of me, but I believe when Henry was targeted three times or fewer, the Chargers lost. You know, so when he's involved in the game plan, everything starts to click offensively. So I look for big things from him in year three. Steve, last guy I want to touch on is Desmond King, who PFF graded out as the third best rookie corner, which is high praise when you consider that Marshawn Lattimore and Tredavious White were the first two. Uh, This is a fifth-round pick, Jim Thorpe Award winner. What did you see from Desmond King this year in Gus Bradley's system? Yeah, another guy that was crazy productive in our system in college that the NFL looked at and said, I don't know if he's fast enough. I don't know if he's tall enough. And maybe he's not the best pure man coverage corner on the outside. And uh, look, I think he was just a steal in the fifth round. He fit a very good role uh, playing in the slot for the Chargers. Uh, The type of guy who's just always in the right position, uh, knows how to make plays on the ball. He's got his hands on a ton of passes at Iowa. He plays zone very well, and he learned that at Iowa as well, where they play a ton of uh, zone coverage. So he was the guy, I think – maybe disappointed because he wasn't that six foot corner that could play press man coverage, mm-hmm. but he's just such a good all around football player. And I think he showed that as a rookie uh, sure tackler uh, gets in there and mixes it up in the run game, always graded well for us in the run game at Iowa. And all of that stuff translated last year for the chargers. You know, he didn't miss a ton of tackles. He got in there against the run game, keeps the ball in front of him in zone coverage, rarely cut out of position. He had a couple you know, a couple of rough plays in there like any rookie, but overall uh, just a solid, de- dependable player and, and pretty much what we expected to see from him coming out of Iowa and, and a steal, like I said, in the fifth round. Yeah, I think Gus Bradley found the perfect spot for him in his defense. And like you mentioned, fifth round pick, we're going to transition to the draft now. PFF does a lot of work on these prospects. You personally do a lot of work on these prospects. If you haven't read Steve's piece on Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen that just came out a few days ago, suggest you check those out. Steve, how much does the combine impact your evaluations? Yeah, so we're we're very film-based at PFF because we we have graded every single player on every snap in college football and you know, that's I still think that's the best way, you know, of of evaluating what a guy will do at the next level. Uh, as far as, you know, taking the proper data and, you know, looking forward and trying to predict what a guy will be. But part of that data is the combine. And I do think it is quite important. You, there there are certain baselines and thresholds. You don't want too many linebackers running 4-9. You don't really want corners running 4-6. And you want your edge defenders to have a pretty good three cone or broad jump. I mean, there are certain things uh, that truly matter. So uh, while we're very much film-based when it comes to 
a big chunk of our evaluations. Part of it is uh, adding that athletic component. And I think the big thing is when a guy looks athletic on the field, does it show up at the, at the combine? You know, does, does the tape match with what they're going to do in their shorts next week? And uh, when it doesn't, you know, you just kind of question things a little bit, go back and see uh, maybe this guy just looked faster because he was playing poor competition or whatever it might be. Um, so I do think it's an important part of the evaluation. It's certainly not the entire evaluation. I still think on-field play is your best predictor for future success, but you have to figure out the best parts of the combine to kind of apply to that evaluation, and that'll vary depending on the position. And Steve, with all that being said, which players are most intriguing to you in Indy that are going to perform? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot. I mean, if, I think you look at the, the edge defenders, a guy like Bradley Chubb, who's getting some top 10 hype, but you know, don't know if he's that pure edge defender that can truly turn the corner. So I think there's some question marks there. What is, what are his, what is three cone? What are his uh, lower body explosive exercises going to look like? Uh, a guy like Vita Vea, who could, could interest the Chargers as a big oh, yeah. uh, middle of the defense run plugging type, but he's more than that. I think he can rush the passer as well and bull rush dudes. I mean, if he looks like a, an Uber athlete at 340 pounds, I think he'll be intriguing. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds, the linebacker out of Virginia Tech. I mean, crazy length and size, and I mean, he's six five, two fifty, and only twenty years old. So, you know, if he shows up as a freak athlete, uh, I mean, he already he already looks like he an oversized linebacker, and he's going to continue to grow. And if he runs well and moves well, I think that's going to uh, really help his projection. And then a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick, the cornerback out of Alabama, that he's getting top five and top ten hype, but. Uh, from a style standpoint, probably a similar player to what Jalen Ramsey was a couple of years ago, a guy that could maybe play the slot, play safety, play outside. But I don't know that he has that pure athleticism that Jalen Ramsey has. So I'm really curious to know what he looks like as far as his you know, straight line speed and his movement. And I think that'll be a big factor in his evaluation. You know, a lot of these household names like Rose and Darnold, Baker Mayfield was the headliner, Josh Allen and at the Senior Bowl, Saquon Barkley, who are maybe one or two prospects not many people are talking about now that we'll all be talking about by the end of the combine next week. I hope people are talking about Michael Gallup, the wide receiver out of Colorado State. He's a guy that uh, has crushed our system from a production standpoint the last two years. He went to the Senior Bowl, was solid that week. Yeah. I think he's got pretty good straight line speed. We'll see if, he sh- if that shows up next week. But he's the type of guy I think his production was great. I think his production and measurables will be really good. And as long as that does check out for us, he might be at the top wide receiver on the board between him and Calvin Ridley and a couple other guys. I think Gallup, uh, certainly a big name. I'm, I'm also curious to know Marcus Davenport is starting to get a ton of hype out of UTSA, the big, long six foot seven edge defender. I want to see what his, yeah, another senior bowl guy. And he's the type of guy that he's, he's a guy that I almost started the hype on a few months ago. I was, we were really high on him. We saw the production. We saw him as a potential breakout candidate before the season, but maybe not to the point that he's being talked about now as a potential top 10 or top 15 pick. Um, I want to see if he can really, uh, if he does crush the combine, he might solidify a top 10 or top 15 spot, which could be a little high for him, but uh, that's why it's a big week and, and really curious to see what he ends up doing. Another name that we see, you know, the Chargers are selecting at number 17 overall. Another name you see in mock drafts is a guy I'm really high on. I know you like a lot, Derwin James from Florida State. Oh, yeah. Is he a top 10 pick at this point, you think? Yeah, I'm looking at my spreadsheet right now, and he just, I just didn't scroll over far enough to remind myself that he's the guy I really want to see <laughs> yeah. next week at the combine. <laughs> Derwin James, man, he is, I think he's a top five 
potential pick. Wow. I mean, he's 6'3", 215. He is, I wrote the article a couple of weeks where we said he is exactly what the NFL needs to essentially to combat these offenses that, that throw Rob Gronkowski's at you and uh, Sterling Shepard's, these, you know, shifty slot receivers. Derwin James is the type of guy that on one play can cover a big six foot five, 260 pound tight end. And on the next play cover a shifty slot receiver all while if you give him the opportunity to rush the passer, he looks like he's not Vaughn Miller or anything off the edge, but he looks like a legitimate edge rusher coming off the edge. And you just don't see that from, you don't see that from linebackers, never mind safeties. So I just think in the right system where defensive core, a defensive coordinator is tapping into his versatility. He could be a really, really special player. Uh, He's listed as a safety. I call him a defensive weapon or a defensive chess piece, whatever you want to call him. And I think there's plenty of value for him in that top five, top 10 type of range. You know, we just talked about the five players, five Chargers players from the top 101. Which position do you think the Chargers should take a long look at in the first round based on their need and just the depth at certain positions in this draft, Steve? Well, I mean, the offensive line, even though they put a lot of resource into it last year, Forrest Lamp, of course, getting hurt and Dan Feeney getting drafted, I still think there's a, there's a lot more work to do up front. We still saw them struggle overall up front. So I think there's uh, you know more draft capital that can be used up front on the defensive line. I still wouldn't mind seeing them get uh, you know maybe another complimentary wide receiver as much as we've seen you know flashes from Tyrell Williams and Travis Benjamin through the years. I mean, just getting another compliment while Mike Williams is still finding his way, I think would be great. Not necessarily a huge priority, but would be good to see. And then the defensive front. I mean, we've seen this team go from maybe the worst defensive front in the NFL to having those two unbelievable edge rushers and Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa, but there's still question marks up front. Corey Legit's been, uh, you know, very inconsistent. They don't have, uh, you know, other dependable big bodies up there. They've struggled, uh, you know, against the run, rushing the passer from the middle. So I think there's uh, interior defensive line and then probably a little bit more speed at linebacker. Again, it's just been an inconsistent linebacking core as much as a guy like Tavis Brown has shown potential, uh, you know, took a bit of a step back this past year, still some potential there. But I think another good, consistent three down linebacker would go a long way to that defense that took great strides last year. Yeah. And it's all about keeping Denzel Perryman healthy, too. When he's in the lineup, that defense is markedly different. You talk about defensive tackle. We talk about Vita Vea. What about Mo Hurst from Michigan and Deron Payne from Alabama? If you had to rank those three, Steve, they, they seem to be guys who are going to be available in that middle round where the Chargers are selecting. Yeah, I mean, if Maurice Hurst is available in the middle of the first round, in, in, in my world, that's a steal. I mean, yeah. I think he is a top five, top ten type of player. His production in the, over the last three years at Michigan is in a different world compared to all of these other interior defensive linemen. He just gets, I think, painted with this undersized brush that the NFL will paint with. Uh, he's only 280 pounds, but unbelievable disruptor. Plays plays low, fits the scheme well. I think he would be an absolute steal for the Chargers. So I think he'd be first. Vea is a completely different player because he's 340 pounds. There's a bit of a concern about whether he can rush the passer, but I think we, we trust him enough that he can bull rush and really push the pocket uh, extremely well that I would take him in the first round. And then uh, Deron Payne, we have more of a, as a second round type of player, probably can't rush the passer as efficiently as Vea, but I uh, like all these other Alabama interior defensive linemen outstanding against the run. You know, technique is outstanding as well. It just it does just a fundamentally sound guy that you, you, you could probably plug in and get some quality early down snaps uh, from, from him. It's just a matter of how much 
can he affect the quarterback on third down? I think I saw your mock draft last month, and you had Orlando Brown from Oklahoma going to the Chargers at 17, uh, perhaps maybe projecting him as a right tackle on the other side of Russell Okung. Between him and the other Big 12 tackle, Connor Williams, uh, where do you fall on that? Because they seem to be two of the three tackles that are most desired in that first round. Yeah, I'd lean Connor Williams there. I think Brown, he has outstanding size. He's over 340 pounds. You know, when he gets his hands on guys, the play's over. I mean, he, he just engulfs people in pass protection and in the run game. I do question whether or not he'll be able to handle those, uh, you know, the speedy edge rushes at the next level. So uh, even at 17, I don't know if that's too much of a risk for my liking, whereas Connor Williams, I think, you know, moves extremely well. I think he can handle speed a little bit better. Uh, he struggled a bit last year and then battled injury, but uh, his 2016 season, unbelievable in pass protection, only gave up a handful of pressures, and he's a really, really smooth run blocker. So I think Connor Williams has a chance to maybe be the best tackle in this entire class. I trust him a little bit more, I'd say, than Orlando Brown, especially in pass protection. Steve, get you out of here on this. When does that PFF draft guy come out, and what are the benefits of PFF Elite? I know Chargers fans may be interested in checking out that stuff over the next couple of months. Yeah, great. The, the draft guide is uh, February 26th, I believe, is the drop date. We're going to have uh, version one, which will have about 150 uh, in-depth profiles and then 230 players broken down. And then you'll get some level of stats on over 2,000 guys that are draft eligible in this wow. class, believe it or not. Um, so there's a ton of stuff in there. That's all part of our PFF Edge package. And then our PFF Elite package, the simplest thing I could say is we just brought back our premium stats. And if there's anybody that remembers our premium stats package from probably three or four years <laughs> I ago. Remember. We had to take I it remember. Off the yes. Yeah. Well, we, ha- we had to take it off the market because it was just so valuable to our NFL team customers and to the networks that we work with, but we're bringing it back for fans and at an incredible price as part of PFF Elite. And it, the Elite gives you 365 days of access and uh, a whole bunch of other goodies in there as well. So uh, people have already been loving it. It's only been back for a week, and, it, and it's only going to get better. Well, listen, I can't tell you how many Chargers fans reference PFF and seen all these graphics up and down the season when it came to Casey Hayward or you know, Hunter Henry, Phillip Rivers. You guys do awesome stuff, and I can't thank you enough for joining us today, talking Chargers and also some draft. Are you going to be in uh, in Indianapolis? I will be there, yeah. I'll be uh, I'll be running around all week and uh, you know, meeting with teams and doing some media work, so. See you over there? Yeah, I'll be there and uh, hopefully try to catch up with you at the, the convention center there, man. Looking forward to it. Sounds great. All right, continuing our discussion, NFL Scouting Combine. Rob Rang of NFL Draft Scout joins me. Rob, how you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. You know, Rob, you wrote this in your latest column. Obviously, the two most important things for an NFL team at Indy is the medical and that all-important interview but as a draft analyst who's been doing this for a long time, what's most intriguing to you about next week in Indianapolis? Um, you know, I, I think that a lot of fans would say that it's the, the vertical jump, the 40-yard dash, the bench press. But for me, it, it remains the interview process. I, I think that it takes an exceptional young man um, who is going to work even harder after signing a multi-million dollar contract. And um, with, with my background, you mentioned that I've been, been scouting for a long time. I've been going to the Senior Bowl since 2001, to the Combine since 2006. And in those years, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've watched a player and just kind of, you know, looked, read, read his body language, looked into his eyes and thought, this is the type of person who does have that work ethic necessary, that fire 
to, to absolutely exhaust every bit of their potential to be as good as they possibly can and then have them and push their, 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 their stock that much higher up my board based on those interviews. And, and unfortunately, the opposite can be true as well. So every year I look forward to having conversations with these players to kind of try and get a feel for who they are as as men, and if they are the type of people who are going to do everything they possibly can to become the great player that their 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 natural talents suggest they can be. Rob, that's such an interesting way to put it because you know it's such a subjective process when you go through interviewing prospects and just their temperament, and it's such an important thing. Though you have to really take that whole piece of pie—the tape, the combine, and then really who they are off the field and and their work ethic, how difficult do you think that piece of the pie is for NFL teams? I think that can be very difficult. I think that there's a lot of people out there who focus too much attention um, on, on just the tape or especially those who focus just on the, the measurable uh, the provides, as I mentioned, like the 40-yard dash or the bench press. I mean, there, there are some players in this year's draft who play very fast but may not run very well in the in a 40-yard dash or, uh, or the same thing as far as their strength. They may not have the numbers in terms of the bench press, but they, they play such a physical brand of football and they have a, in the initial explosiveness that's that's just so much more important to the game than that 35th repetition of 225 pounds. Yeah. You know, so, so things of that nature, I, I think, are, are critical. I think that the teams that do the best job of it take all the different pieces of information and, and try to compile that. And then there's a marriage, so to speak, between the scouting staff and the coaching staff. And the, the coaches are... You know they're they're looking for certain types of players that that are going to fit into their scheme, and they have to be able to articulate that to their scouts, so the scouts can come back and have those draft meetings where they can say, okay, if you want players with short area quickness or fluid hits or whatever the case, the specific attribute might be, that those scouts then can identify those players and just streamline streamline that process for the coaches, so they can get the best possible players for this specific scheme. Rob, this year seems to be the year of the quarterback. There doesn't seem to be a consensus at the top. I think as many as five could probably go in the first round, including the two from SC and UCLA here in Los Angeles. How important is it for these guys to actually throw at the combine and throw well, given how close they all seem to be at the top? I think that it is a little bit more important this year. Um, for those for those quarterbacks to to throw at the combine, and of course, if they are competing in anything, then you want them to perform well. But even if they don't perform well uh, at the combine, then you'd like to see some improvement um, at their pro day. Which, you know, let, let's face it, if a quarterback at their pro day it should be a near flawless uh, performance because everything is scripted. They are obviously sleeping in their own. They're out sleeping in their own beds and things of that nature, uh, you know, the, the night before. And so it shouldn't be the, the grind that the combine is. Um, but at the same time, you know, I just think that it is still a workout. And so as dazzling as somebody might be during a, during a workout, that, that should match up with what we see on the tape during the games. Um, you know, and obviously it's the, the more important thing, especially the quarterback position. You know, Rob, the Chargers are a team with championship aspirations in 2018, but you can't ignore the fact that Phillip Rivers, 36 years old, been in this league for a long time, and at some point, you need to address the future. 
Uh, with a draft as loaded as it seems to be at quarterback, could you make the case for the Chargers finding their future quarterback in one of the first three rounds this year? I absolutely could. I think that just about every team should be looking at quarterbacks in the first three to four rounds this year, just because I think that this class is, is that good. Uh, you know, it's, it, we, we live in an era where hyperbole is so common. Um, you know, there's all types of, of, of lofty praise year after year. But as I mentioned, I've been doing this for a long time, and I think this is one of the, the strongest draft classes that we've seen, at least during my career. Um, you know, I, I think this is very comparable to a 2012 class that that science left a one, Roger Griffin III built two, that Kirk Cousins, Russell Wilson, uh, Nick Foles. Uh, you know, there, there's still reported us in that class, uh, or everyone lost as, the, as the, the greatest of all time, um, the 1983 class, the only class that had six quarterbacks go in the first round. I think that there will be at least five quarterbacks that go this year. So we're talking about like a, a group that could compare to that, that same 1983 class that you know, led off with Hall of Famer John Elway and also had Hall of Famer Jim Kelly and, and Hall of Famer Dan Marino among those six. I think, I think it's crazy talk at this point to say that any of the quarterbacks this year in the, in the 2018 draft are, are future Hall of Famers because there's just so many things that go into that that equation. But that said, I, I am very excited about this year's draft class. I, I mentioned before, I think that there's going to be five quarterbacks going in the first round. But I believe that both of those quarterbacks that come from that L.A. area, as you mentioned, Sam Donald from USC, Josh Rosen from UCLA, Josh Allen from Wyoming, Baker Mayfield from Oklahoma, and Lamar Jackson from Louisville, that they, in my opinion, are slam dunk, essentially, first-round quarterbacks. And that you might see another quarterback to jump into that mix as well, like a Mason Rudolph and even Kyle Oletta from Little Old Richmond, who was you know, dominant at the Senior Bowl, wound up being the game's MVP. Uh, I think that he has a chance to, to sneak up into that range. So, you know, if if the Chargers, if other teams that have a a you know a potentially a future Hall of Fame quarterback already on their roster, but an aging one at that, like the Chargers do, of course, with Philip Rivers, then yeah, I think this is one of those draft classes that you can draft a player in the second, third, perhaps even the fourth round because there's just there's so many teams that are going to be flexing quarterbacks, and there's going to be some players who naturally fall down the board a little bit. But if you're able to find a, a Mike White from Western Kentucky in the third or fourth round, um, you know, or a, um, a Kurt Benker from, from Virginia in the same area, and I mentioned Kyle Oletta, uh, these are the types of guys that I think can be very successful uh, in, in the Chargers offense. So I think that you're looking for a quarterback who can uh, doesn't necessarily have to be fleet of foot if you're going to go with the Philip Rivers style, but has to be tough, has to be accurate, has to be smart. And those three quarterbacks who I just mentioned, I think, would fit in very nicely. You know what's funny? I just looked at my sheet. The next two names I had on my list after talking about these five quarterbacks in the first round, Mason Rudolph and Kyle Laletta. But I want to go back to Lamar Jackson real quick because I think most people believe that he's going to be a first-round NFL quarterback. But, you know, we've heard some – some speculation about, oh, maybe he should move the wide receiver. What do you see when you put on a tape of Lamar Jackson and how his game translates to the NFL? Uh, I think that Lamar Jackson can be an NFL wide receiver because he is just that fantastic of an athlete. I, I just think that you're taking away some of the things that make him so special, and that is at the quarterback position. So, you know, to me, it's a, it's a, a compliment 
when you say that a player could potentially make a transition to a different position at the highest level, uh, in my opinion, Lamar Jackson should be an NFL quarterback, at least initially. And then if he struggles or if the team feels that he would be better served moving to a different position, then that's a conversation that they can have at that point. But the, the steady improvement that Lamar Jackson showed over his three seasons as a starting quarterback at Louisville in terms of accuracy, in terms of his ability to recognize defenses, uh, to be able to bait safeties by looking one way and throwing the other, um, those are all uh, reasons why I believe that Lamar Jackson will be drafted as a quarterback and has a great future in the NFL at the quarterback position. That said, there there are some obvious negatives about it. Louisville did not run the most complicated of, of pro-style schemes, um, and, and Lamar Jackson has a relatively slim frame that you worry about durability. Is he going to be able to to withstand the punishment that he's going to face not only as a as a quarterback being hit in the pocket, but of course when he leaves that pocket, then just the, the size and physicality that he's going to be facing in the NFL is so much greater that you do worry that physically he will break down. And so there are definitely reasons why you can suggest that Lamar Jackson could make a transition to a different position in the NFL. That does not necessarily mean that he will not be successful as a traditional NFL quarterback. Rob, I think a reason you may be able to think about filling a future need early, like at quarterback, is the fact that your two top picks from last year for the Chargers, they didn't really make much of an impact in 2017. Forrest Lamp didn't see the field. Mike Williams came back late, uh, really had to catch up a lot. What did you make of Forrest Lamp and Mike Williams exactly a year ago going through this process? Because these guys essentially are going to be rookies in their second year. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that the Chargers fans have a lot to be excited about. Uh, you know, I, Mike Williams can be that 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 other talented wide receiver to complement what you already have on the roster. Um, you know, th- this is a this is a big athlete, a, a, a player that. I mentioned before earlier in the interview about some guys who don't necessarily run fast in a straight line, but they play fast. And Mike Williams is exactly that. I mean, there's, I, I watched him run away from, from cornerbacks um, who wound up running faster than him in the 40 yard dash. When, when Mike Williams is being so productive while at Clemson, I saw him go up and, and get the ball out of the hands and, and outbox them when those, uh, when those contested, 50-50 balls over corners or safeties that, that jumped higher than him in the forty in the, in the vertical jump. And so Mike Williams is a football player. And, and so I think that anytime you have a quarterback as gifted as Philip Rivers and all the skill position talent the Chargers already have on the field, then Mike Williams can be the type of guy that can put you over the top. Um, you know, we all know that the durability questions that, that Keenan Allen has struggled with throughout his career, but in my opinion, he is a number one receiver when he is healthy. And, and so an athlete like adding an athlete like Mike Williams to that equation, I just think sets up very well for the Chargers. And, you know, of course, if you're going to be successful in passing the football, then you have to have that protection up front and, and Forrest Lamp, you know, was a spectacular player during his career. Uh, you know, at Western Kentucky, I remember watching him in person at the Senior Bowl, and it didn't really, it didn't matter who he went up against. His ability to to dominate the point of attack with his initial punch, his lateral agility, his balance, his his core strength. Uh, I think that he is going to make a, a pretty quick transition inside the guard, be very successful there. Um, you know, it was uh, it was one of the, the real 
sad, unfortunate injuries of this season that he struggled in, at, you know, with that, with that 20 ACL. I think that he'll be coming back and, and be as strong as ever. He is one of those players I mentioned before about guys that you just, you look into their eyes and you believe this is a player who's going to maximize his talent. I think that Forrest Ramp will do that, and, and Chargers fans are going to be very happy with the selections of Mike Williams and Forrest Ramp moving forward. Yeah, and we, you look for silver linings when unfortunate things like that happen. You know, Mike Williams got hurt in the offseason in minicamp, and then Forrest Lamp goes down to training camp. You win nine of your last 12 games, and you can insert these two really good young players into the lineup and hopefully build off of 2017 success. Rob, I looked at your latest mock draft, and Chargers fans, if you want to check it out, go to NFLDraftScout.com. You have the Chargers selecting Deron Payne from Alabama. And if he's available, it makes a ton of sense. Put him in that D-line rotation alongside Bosa and Ingram. What do you like about Payne's game, Rob? Strength. I mean, it's just his power yeah. right off the bat is the very first thing I think about with this guy. Is, you know, his weight room prowess. I mean, he's been a, a, you know, a, a YouTube legend since high school. Um, you know, but it's, it's not only that. I mean, that, that's obviously an important role if you're going to be a run stepper. But it's the, it's the toughness that he demonstrated, the leadership that he demonstrated while at Alabama. Um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't coincidence that um, when, when Georgia tried to run the ball up the middle um, in the national championship game, that they found themselves in all kinds of trouble because Deron, that's Deron Payne there area, excuse me. And so his ability to hold up to the point of attack against even multiple blockers, he's got kind of a short squatty frame that's just so conducive to, to playing that role. Um, I think that that fits in very well, especially with the you know, run defense was a struggle for the Chargers a year ago. I think that they have the talent already in place to be able to, to maximize uh, and to make a, a significant jump in, in that statistic uh, run defense um, a year from now with a little bit more help and a little bit more youth at that position. Um, I'm a big fan of, of, of Brandon Meebane and, and what he has done at the NFL level. Um, I also just think that, that he's a player that is kind of on the, on the, the downside of, of his career. So you can add another player to complement him. Uh, I think that that might put the Chargers in a position to be successful. And, you know, we're, we're seeing once, once you get into the playoff kind of run, that's when teams, you know, when the, the weather starts to change, it gets cold, teams are going to try to run the ball right down your throat. That's one of the things that the Philadelphia Eagles just proved and how they were able to kind of mitigate Tom Brady and, and New England's up-tempo offense was to control the clock. And so I, that's, I think something that the Chargers did a great job of that on the offensive side of the ball with Melvin Gordon a year ago. I think it's going to be a little bit more of a priority to do that on the defensive side of the ball this year. Fortunately for Chargers fans, if a player like Deron Payne or a, a Vita Vea from Washington is not available, this is a strong defensive tackle class. And there are run stuffers to be had in the second third rounds as well. You know, it's a great segue into running back because – this class is absolutely loaded, Rob. I mean, you have Saquon Barkley at the top, but you mentioned Melvin Gordon, and he, he is the bell cow with the Chargers, but his backup is Austin Eckler, and I, I consider Austin Eckler something different. You know, he's, he's a great change of pace back. He can, he can do some things out of the backfield, catch the ball out of the backfield, but I just look at the running backs in this class and I think you could make the argument, correct me if I'm wrong, but you could probably get a running back in the third round this year that in any other year would be a late first, early second rounder based on the depth there. 
Yeah, running back, it's it's pretty remarkable. I mean, because last year I thought running back was about as strong as I'd ever seen it. And I thought, okay, we're not going to see the class like this for at least a decade. And here we are this year, and it's almost as good, if not better. Um, you know, and so it, it really is a, a testament to the talent that's available. Um, and, and frankly, the fact that we have so many underclassmen who elect to make themselves eligible for the draft a little bit early. Um, but I, you know, remember just, it was only a couple of years ago when some were theorizing that, that, you know, we had seen the last of running backs going in the first round, and that's certainly not going to be the case this year. Right? If you ask people about these head and shoulders above everybody else, the running back position this year, I don't know that there is going to be a second running back who's going to go in the first round, in part because the depth is so good. Why would you take a running back, uh, you know, in the top 20 other than Saquon Barkley when you know you can get a very similar athlete in the second or third round? So, you know, whether it be a player, I mentioned Georgia before, a little bit disrespectfully for the SEC champs. Uh, so I should tell them here, you know, Nick Chubb, Sonny Michelle, are both absolutely bell cow runners, in my opinion, in the NFL level, just kind of depending on what you're looking for. And that's just the start of it. I mean, Rashad Penny from San Diego State, a lot of Chargers fans, rightly so, should be fans of his game and the, and the versatility that he shows not only as a runner, but as a return man as well. Uh, you know, Jalen Samuels from North Carolina State, I mean, he was a player, he played H-back more than anything else. Uh, with the Wolf back and then went to the Senior Bowl, and I thought that he was the best running back on the field. He's not going to run very well. He's probably going to run into four sixes, and so he's going to drop into you know perhaps even day day three territory, the fourth round or so. But I tell you this, he's a really good football player that catches the ball exceptionally well, and so he might be a guy to kind of target on say day three as a change of pace guy to what we already have in Melvin Gordon that could come in and be an immediate impact performer and a guy that whose statistics will wind up, uh, in my opinion, surpassing some of the running backs who perhaps go in that late first round or second round of this year's draft. And, Rob, we didn't even talk about guys like Carrion Johnson and Bo Scarborough and Freeman from Oregon. Uh, another kid that was really good at, sen- at the Senior Bowl, Balaj from Arizona State. I liked his game a lot as well. It's just I've never seen Ronald Jones, another guy, a local guy from USC. I've never seen the position this deep, and it seems like somebody's going to get really good value there in the third, fourth round. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you mentioned a lot of different football players. I mean, I, I would kind of go backward. I was mentioning Ronald Jones. I mean, he might be the back. If someone's going to take somebody in the late first round, he might be the one just because of that straight line speed. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Ronald Jones bust out a 4-3 or so in the 40-yard dash this year and kind of steal some of the spotlight from Saquon Barkley and the rest of this running back class. I think for, for my money, if you're looking for just straight speed, straight big play ability, uh, you know, Ronald Jones, I mean, to me, looks like a second coming of a Jamal Charles or a Chris Johnson, um, you know, who, you know, their, their careers speak for themselves uh, in the NFL. And then you have these bigger backs. You, you mentioned a, a Bo Scarborough, I mean, a, a Royce Freeman, um, Kalen Barrage. I mean, all of them, we're, we're talking about six foot, 230 pound kind of guys that can be that sledgehammer. And, you know, I referenced the Super Bowl before, and we all saw what LeGarrette Blunt did. Um, you know, not only last year for the Eagles, but the year before that for the Patriots. And so if you have a back like that, that can be that enforcer down the, you know, as the game wears on, then that obviously can play a critical role uh, for your team as well. So, you know, just a, a spectacular running back class. It's kind of a Batson Robin picture of flavor kind of a thing. Who, whatever you need, this running back class offers 
Rob, we'll get you out of here on this. Who's one or two prospects not many people are talking about now that we're all going to be talking about at the end of the combine? Um, you know, the, the, the first two guys that jump out at me are, are the two linebackers. Now, they're starting to get plenty of attention now, but uh, Boise State's uh, Leighton Vander Esch um, and, and Virginia Tech's um, Tremaine Edmonds are, are both just fantastic athletes, and they're not going to be the fastest guys because they're linebackers. But if both these players wind up running as fast as I expect in the high four fives to low four sixes at 240 pounds, and they, they both have vertical jumps in the 37 inch or higher uh, range and show the agility during the shuttle drills that they show on the field, then I think that they're going to be considered among the best pound for pound athletes in this year's draft. But, you know, again, I would be remiss if I didn't mention some of the guys I expected to win the, the most celebrated 40 yard draft. Ronald Jones has a chance as well as Dante Jackson from LSU. There's talk that he's going to run in the four twos and maybe even put John Ross's record, um, you know, in, in his rear view mirror. So that certainly speaks to it. And then if you're going to talk about the big guys, I think you have to mention Washington's Vita Vea. Uh, he's going to come in at about 345 pounds, and every report I have suggests that he's going to run under five flat and put up 40-plus repetitions of uh, 225 pounds in the bench press. I've been comparing him to Haloti Nada for a long time, and there's a lot of those out there. You, know, you start using the Dante, Dante Poe reference. Um, he's going to put up those kind of numbers. And just as good as Dante Poe was throughout his career, he was not the dominator on snap to snap basis at Memphis that Villanueva was for Washington. Uh, in fact, that's when he won the, the Morris Trophy Award. So those are a group of four or five athletes right there who I think are going to be at the tip of everybody's tongue at the end of this just combine. He's Rob Rang of NFLDraftScout.com. Rob, awesome stuff. I look forward to seeing you in Indy, and I appreciate you spending some time with us today on Chargers Weekly. No problem. Thanks for having me. And that's going to do it. My thanks to Rob and Steve, and thanks to you guys for listening. Be sure to subscribe to Chargers Weekly on Apple Podcasts, and please leave a review. Help spread the word this offseason. Want to get this to as many Chargers fans as possible. Next week is a big one, so we're going to have two podcasts from Indianapolis keeping you tuned into all things NFL Draft. Enjoy the weekend, and until next time, I'm Chris Harey.